a podcast, resource, community, and digital media platform. This is Shmoney Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Shmoney Radio. I hope your coffee is strong and that your hump day is treating you well. I'm your host, Anastasia Barbuzzi, and today on the podcast, I'm happy to bring you my conversation with Anya Bonieka, model, social media star, digital content producer, and former accountant, which you may not have expected by looking at her Instagram. Before Anya amassed a following of over 100,000 people and started running a successful production company with her husband and photographer, Tyler Stellman, she worked as an office manager at her brother's accounting firm. Today, the creative career path she carved for herself takes her to some of the dreamiest places in the world to capture stunning imagery for top brands. But even with the busyness and excitement of day-to-day operations, she still makes it a point to teach her audience about financial literacy, which we respect over here at Shmoney. In our chat, Anya and I discuss what brought her to Canada from Poland, her modeling career, and come up in the industry. We also talk about how she met Tyler, her husband, what it's like to run a business with your partner, workplace stereotypes, the money taboo, the absolute biggest lessons she's learned about personal finance along the way, and why there's never been a better time to talk about money than right now. If you've ever wondered what it's like to build a following and community online, work independently, or live a nomadic lifestyle as a public figure in the digital age, this episode is for you. So without further ado, let's get right to it. First off, welcome to the show, Anya. Thank you so much for being here. Since you're quite the nomad and I see that you split your time between Calgary, Toronto, and LA, where are you in the world during the pandemic? Thanks for having me. Um, I We're in Calgary right now. This is where our family is. So we, we have an apartment here um, and we just, yeah, kind of, you know, uh, set our roots down here during everything that's been happening. We have had the opportunity to travel a couple of times during the last year, which is good. Definitely not as often as we have in the past, um, but I'm always on the lookout for like opportunities to, to go away somewhere and do something uh, because it is very hard to, to just sit in one place for an extended period of time for me. Definitely. I, I can see why, because you seem to have traveled a lot throughout your life and career. And I can imagine it feels a bit stifling to be prohibited in a lot of ways when it comes to travel. Yeah, I, I find a lot of inspiration when we travel. I find that that's like what really propels my content and the things that I want to talk about and the things that I want to share. So it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But I know that Calgary is not your birthplace per se. So when and why did you first move to Canada and where from? Yeah, so I was born in Poland. Uh, Szczecin is the city that I am originally from. Um, We came to Canada in 1999. And my so I was very young, um, but I still consider Poland to be my home. Like I've been in Canada longer than I've been in Poland, but I think because of my childhood and like I was raised in that culture, I'll always see that as my like primary sort of that's my background. Um, But we came in 99. My brother actually came to Canada before us. Uh, He came in 86, 89, sorry. And he's much older than me. He's 16 years older than me. Uh, so when I was born, he was around for a couple of years, but then kind of wanted to start his life and didn't want to stay in Poland. At that time, Poland was still kind of, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, mm-hmm. sort of be- behind, but in front. Um, and yeah, so so he came to Canada and then he made it possible for us to, to come here afterwards. Um, so it's been, he was here for about 12 years before he sponsored us. And that was like back then the rules were a little bit different. Uh, you were able to bring family members, which I don't know if it's the same anymore. I think rules have changed a little bit, mm-hmm. but we got to, we got to come. And so that, I mean, everybody's dream was kind of that we were always going to be together eventually. Yeah. He must've been, I mean, being so much older than you, he must've been such a big inspiration to you growing up. 
Well, I, so I like basically grew up as an only child because I only saw him maybe once a year, like when he came for hol- uh, for Christmas holidays. And then I would see him every couple of years when we went to, we came to Canada for my summer holidays. Um, but I never really knew how it was like to like grow up with a sibling, having to share things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I have a lot of like, who I am now, I have a mentality of like an only child a lot of the times, as my husband will tell you. <laughs> but um, but yeah, but I have a brother who's like, who could basically be my parent, uh, which is really great as well, because he's very protective of me. He basically set a big part of my path um, because he he became an accountant first and mm. uh, finished schooling, like became a chartered accountant and he opened his own practice. And I mean, his was the first firm that I worked at um, mm-hmm. when I was doing accounting and stuff. So yeah, a lot of, a lo- I mean, of course as well, like I owe him that we are here now and I, my opportunities with my current job, you know, indirectly really come from him. And I'm excited to get a little bit more into your background as an accountant and how your brother helped you get there. But I do want to know a little bit about Tyler because your husband, he seems so much a part of your career and business, which I think is really cool. And a lot of the times we don't, especially in the media, we don't see, you know, like these super solid relationships like you guys seem to have. So how did you guys meet and what's it like working together? So we met, I had already had my blog at the time and I was kind of trying to learn, get more into photography. I thought because it was kind of difficult for me to be the face of my blog all the time, I started shooting other people. So I thought for a second that I was going to be a street style photographer. And I don't know if you remember that like era of street style. It was really big. And I mean, like now, obviously it's not really happening because of COVID and stuff, but Mm -hmm. I was always very fascinated by it. I loved it. I loved walking up to people on the street and not only being able to like strike up a conversation with a stranger and have a reason to do it, but you know, like I made a lot of friends that way. But I also really liked how it made them feel like people were very flattered. They loved it because it was so unusual at the time. Um, and it was just like a really great connection to, to, to make. Um, but so, yeah, so at that time, when I started my blog, I was kind of moving in that direction. And I had, I had actually previously met Tyler on a job. I modeled for many years um, and he he was part of a project that we were doing like a video project with a friend of ours and he was shooting it. But at that time, like we barely even spoke. Um, So, which is, which is funny to think about now. Um, He was in a different relationship at the time. And I think it was just kind of like, he was only interested in getting, you know, the shot and not really there to make friends. And, and I was in a relationship and sort of the same thing. And, Anyway, but then like fast forward a few years later, he had gotten out of the relationship. I had gotten out of a relationship and I was in LA and he was house sitting in LA. So very random place to like re-meet somebody from your home. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and then he he knew the girl that I was in LA with. And we didn't have anywhere to stay. So she told me on the way to like on the way to the airport, she's like, Tyler is house sitting in LA and he's staying in a pretty sweet house. And I'm like, why don't we stay with him? I'll just message him on Facebook and see if he'd be up for it. And by the time we landed in LA, he had responded. We were like set to go and stay with him basically. And then we were there for a week my friend kind of wanted to go out and party and I wanted to stay and hang out on the beach. So we divided our time, like we sort of spread out a little bit, mm-hmm. but then I ended up hanging out with Tyler bonding over cameras because that at that time I was like really trying to figure out what I was going to do in terms of my own path and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of bonded over work really. Um, and then like soon after that, we just started working together we started shooting uh, stock, which is his background in photography. He used to do stock photography. He he was one of the first uh, people like on the iStock team. Um, and, and yeah, so, but he never really pursued like fashion or 
creative photography before. So be, mostly because he's quite shy and introverted and he never really, like he didn't have what I had, which was like the the willingness and the like, I wanted to meet people and I wanted to like, that was kind of my, my excuse to do those things. <laughs> right. And so like, so yeah, so like we combined our strengths and, and started doing it together on like a bigger scale. And then he started helping me, shooting me for the blog because it ended up being so much easier to just do that. Turn the camera on me. I'm always ready. I can, you know, put on an outfit. I'm, if, if you're, you know, like the makeup artist, the model, the, the stylist, the, the creative director, all of that, then you don't have to wait on other people. So it just became more efficient to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And and then, yeah, and then we started, like, then we opened a com like a com company, a corporation, and, and, then, and then we've been doing that ever since. And honestly, like you say, it's hard to, to or you see people working together, but it doesn't ever seem so smooth or whatever. It's not always easy, you know, like mm -hmm. Tyler and I fight a lot and we see each other 24-7. Like we are, we are each other's co-workers, partners, and best friends. And sometimes the three of those things don't really go hand in hand. You know, there are times where I'm like, stop working on the computer. I want to spend time with you. Or, you know, he'll be that way. He yeah, wants right. to do something other than work. And so, yeah, it's definitely a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's definitely something that's hard to achieve. I can imagine with how big things have grown for you guys too. So speaking of your business, you've had enormous success as a media personality, a model and social media influencer with over 100,000 followers. So how the hell did that all happen for you? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I never, I never uh, pat myself on the back for any of those things because I always, I totally have the imposter syndrome like all the time. I I love what we do and I'm so grateful that we get to do what we do. Um, but it's always evolving and it's always changing. And the job that we do requires you to always be on, on your toes. You have to keep up with the trends. You have to know what's going on in the, you know, in your industry, but also the world and also on social media and sort of always adapt to those things. Um, but, you know, in the very beginning, the way that we grew is we just shot a lot all the time. And I remember the, this is before like, you know, the age of the influencer or whatever. People would tell us all the time, like, oh my God, you create so much content. It's crazy. Like, how do you do it? And I never really thought of it that way. I never thought like, oh, we're, we're doing more than anybody else. Cause we just like, we just wanted to churn things out all the time because the ideas were flowing and we just we were like hungry, so hungry for it. And we, we are still, um, but that's sort of, I think that's kind of that lent itself to us being able to do it full time because we were just constantly putting ourselves out there, constantly telling people that this is what we do. And, you know, even now still, there's a lot of clarification as to how we, our business actually works because there's a lot of like a lot of arms to what we do. Like we have a production company, you know, Tyler has his YouTube channel. I have my Instagram. We also create content for clients that doesn't have anything to do with us. So it's like, there's a lot of aspects of our work. Um, but I think that's what keeps us, that's what keeps us motivated, excited about it. Cause it's always different. Um, you know, in the beginning Instagram actually featured my account a couple of times. So that was a really big boost for like the numbers um, and, you know, the way that Tyler works as well. And for me too, like you just kind of have to always look for trends and what helps you be visible. Um, so, you know, whatever that may be, like uh, if it's going to be a trend that people are doing on Instagram, taking photo of like a very specific thing, using hashtags, uh, making a reel that everybody like loves watching, that has a song that everybody loves listening to. Um, for Tyler, that would also be like, you know, what's uh, what just came out, what's launching that people are going to be searching for. Um, so yeah, that kind of like that search for the next thing that you want to be part of really never ends. Was there ever a point where you sat back and thought, wow, okay, like 
this is really happening for us, especially, you know, after being featured on Instagram's account. That's that's pretty big. I never no, I never thought that. And I and I'm still not like I don't I'm I'm a little bit scared to think it because I feel like that's a dangerous place to find yourself. Then you maybe don't grow as much. Then you you feel like you're comfortable where you're at. And I never, I never feel like that. I feel like I'm always, I always have to grow. I always have to like better myself and the, the next project has to be better than the last and stuff like that. And which is true. Like now, when I look back at the stuff that we've done, you know, a few years ago, even a year ago, sometimes it's like, wow, we could do this so much better now um, because you learn and and things that are available to your resources and stuff also improve. So all of that changes. Um, but then also I feel like I have this disease of never being satisfied. We were talking about this with Tyler yesterday. Um, it's like, you know, the more the more you do, the more money you make, uh, the more opportunities that you have, it kind of becomes like your new normal. So you never think about the past where you were at. You're always thinking about where you want to get to in the future. So it's, I don't know. It's like, I'm sure that, I'm not sure, but from what I've heard, it would change if we had kids, maybe like family would be more important and stuff. But right now we don't have those attachments and it just feels like now is the time to be really doing this because, you know, as you get older and stuff, you also get more tired. You want to be, you know, you are more set in your ways and stuff. And as as long as we have that flexibility, I think we should just take advantage of it. Definitely feel you on the quest for perfectionism. I think as a freelancer myself, it's definitely hard to be satisfied when you know there's so much more opportunity out there. So Mm -hmm. it's like you're constantly kind of looking to the next thing. But I do really love hearing that you love to challenge yourself creatively uh, because, Mm -hmm. you know, just scrolling a little bit back through your feed, it's like you see little touches on photography and style and like photo quality and all these things that I think if you go through any blogger's account, like you see those things progress over time and it's really cool Mm -hmm. to see. So besides your beautiful photos and amazing fashion sense, how do you think you attracted such a large following? Like you said, I mean, you've answered this a little bit in the last question, but, you know, trying to grow my own podcast Instagram myself, it's a very hard task. So mm-hmm. what things have made you and your account special to other people that you think, yeah, they want to follow along on your journey with Tyler too? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think it's not a very like straightforward answer. It's different for everybody. And it also has a lot of layers. Um, like I do think that, you know, the things that we do attract people because it's it's not a very common thing to, to do. Like, you know, have a husband photographer, you travel for work and mm-hmm. you shoot cool spots and you put yourself in situations that maybe other people wouldn't necessarily be putting themselves in. Um, like, I mean, you know, as simple as like shooting something very publicly in the middle of like a square that's full of people and you just have to kind of not feel embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people enjoy living vicariously through those moments, but I do. I mean, from what I have heard and from the conversations that I have with people as well, a lot of it also has to do with the fact that I'm very open. I'm, I try to be very real and genuine and uh, no bullshit. Um, I don't, I don't let other people push me around or walk over me or let me, or, or let other people tell me what to do or how I should look or what I should do. I'm, I have in the past tried to very hard tried to um, not do what other people do, um, which is hard because, of course, like I said before, a big part of this job is to follow trends and stuff. Uh, But I always try to keep my own sort of voice and spin on things as well. But then I also have real conversations with the people that watch what we do so you know I don't want to call them followers because a lot of them have become friends over the past years and they they are very loyal and they're always there and you know you have conversations with basically strangers but then they kind of become like your family because they know so much about you and stuff Um, and you get to know them and 
you know, some people like send me photos of their kids and stuff. And it's, it's very sweet. And like, you think about it and the way that the world is right now, everybody's working really hard and sort of careers are, you know, like sort of the primary driving force for a lot of people now. So online is really where everybody gets to meet. Right. So I never want to feel like I'm better than anybody else, that I'm too good to answer a DM, you know, or answer a question or whatever. Like sometimes, sometimes I'll find it frustrating when I like post something and I tag the brand and then somebody asks me, what brand is that? And I'm like, it says right there in the photo. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, people don't really have time to, to care or like check or whatever. And sometimes it is easier just to message somebody. So I always try to respond and be engaged. And, you know, I like what you said about challenging like the smoke and mirrors of social media. In a sense, it's like there are a lot of things that shine through on your profile when it comes to your personality, I think like, you know, even in the finance little videos that we'll discuss a bit further into our conversation, mm -hmm. you're quirky and you're fun and you're not trying to be so serious. It's very relatable. And then, you know, there's things like one of the first things you see when you hit your Instagram profile is the fact that, you know, you were an accountant, you have that in your bio. And yeah. it's like, at the end of the day, anyone on social media is just a person behind the screen, right? Like it's totally it all started somewhere. So Totally. And I think like such a big part of it too is I, I was actually just talking about it yesterday in my stories with that whole Rachel Hollis thing. But I just get so sick of like seeing that influencers, I mean, whatever, even celebrities, like I hate when people just act like they're better than you, uh, like because they have more followers or because they, you know, had an article in a magazine about themselves or were on a cover of a magazine that doesn't make you a better person. You know, like I, I want to be remembered by the kind of person that I am, not the kind of things that I did. So the things are cool and those are experiences that I cherish and that are fun to look at. But at the end of the day, do people like me for who I am, you know, and not just for the photo that they saw of me? But most people that do follow you on social media are surprised that you used to be an accountant as well. And so why do you think that surprises people about you? Totally. I mean, I don't, I just don't think that you equate, you know, that profession with, uh, well, fashion for one, mm -hmm. um, or any kind of color or dimension. <laughs> Unfortunately, the stereotype of accounting is that, you know, you're, you would be boring. Um, you're crunching numbers all day long. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's an unfair, it's obviously an unfair stereotype. Um, I think that could be true for a lot of office jobs, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's like, I think with the birth of social media, obviously those stereotypes are being broken a lot because people are coming out and, and wanting to prove that, you know, the things that people assume of specific jobs isn't really true. Um, but yeah, that would be the reason. Like, I know that I know that people look, people would look at me and they would never think that I had an office job. Um, mm -hmm. because, you know, one, I used to model Two, I'm so I'm kind of all over the place because I like a lot of different things. I, I like color a lot and mm -hmm. it just, yeah, you just, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't assume that. You know what though? I think that's a beautiful part about what you do is that you can dip your toes into all those different interests and you're not stuck in one category. So that's really fun to see through your social media too. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's actually something that I'm very, I'm very set on not breaking. I see a lot of, I don't know, a lot of people talk about niches and focusing on a specific thing. And it always kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's kind of like when I was, it, when I was in university, I was taking accounting I wanted to take a humanitarian class of some kind, English or whatever, something more creative. And I had to explain to who's ever approval I needed to take that class that I'm not a one-dimensional person. I don't want to just take accounting. I want to know about other things. I want to have a well-rounded education. So it's the same with Instagram. Like I don't, I'm not, you know, stuck in only wanting to do specific things. Like I don't want to only talk about home stuff or fashion, all of those, like that's not life. Life isn't 
so one dimensional that you only care about one thing as a person you combine all those things. And I think that's what's so interesting is to see how different people live their lives and incorporate all those different genres into their lives. What else made you want to pursue that profession before you um, your own thing? Yeah. I, I mean, I come, you, you have a Eastern European name. Is that right? Are you Eastern European? Uh, I am Italian. Uh, oh, you're Italian. Yes. Okay. It's a Russian name, but uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we just pronounce it a little differently. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so like my, I mean, this can be true for a lot of cultures, but Polish parents are very strict and um, my parents didn't really gl- grow up with opportunities of much of anything really. Like their, the way that they grew up is the path was very set for everybody. You went to school, you got a job, and then that's what you did. Um, you know, in Poland, it wasn't even like you could change your jobs. Like you, you decided what your job was going to be, and that that's what you were going to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. My parents were a little bit different because they opened their own businesses and stuff. They were able to do that, which was also very rare. But the mentality st- still stayed. And my uh, in my upbringing, I was always told that that's what I was going to do. I was going to go to university. I was going to get a job like, you know, a lawyer, accountant or a doctor or whatever, because mm-hmm. those jobs mean money, basically. And that's what my parents wanted me to have financial independence. They wanted me to have a higher education and all of that stuff. And and I never really questioned it. Like, I know my parents always want what's best for me. And I it's not like I had better ideas either. Like I was in high school and I I didn't really have extracurricular activities. I wasn't very good at sports. I, I'm good at art, but I'm not like a prodigy. So <laughs> I knew that I didn't really want to pursue that because it's hard. Right. Like it's hard to break into the art world, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it all, it's also very subjective, as is everything, as you later find out in, in your life. <laughs> but, but that was kind of like my, my mentality was set. You know, I was going to do that. I was going to go to school. And because my brother was an accountant and both of my parents had taken uh, economics in school uh, and because they had their own businesses, accounting just seemed like a good idea. Um, and I had, a, I had a guaranteed job after school, basically, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. I still tried to, to, to see if I wanted to work somewhere else, but I learned quickly that I, this was not the field for me, but because I already took all the schooling for it. Okay. Well, let's, let's do this. Let's work in public practice for a little bit and see how it works. But even in my, even in the time that I was doing accounting, I kept changing jobs a lot. Like when I was in school, I was working as a filer, like I was doing filing, and then then I moved up uh, when I graduated. I started doing client work. Um, and then that became boring to me. So then I, my brother actually, it was just so happened that they were opening a new office. And I was like, I want to be the office manager. I want to manage uh, everything that's going on and do the like in, uh, in-house accounting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was always searching for something new and something like that wasn't, the same like I just find doing the same thing over and over just gets really I don't know depressing for me like I cannot do it some people some people's minds work like that and mine just does not it's hard for me to focus on one thing all the time so but yeah but so that was the reason accounting was just kind of a, a sure thing and you know and it wasn't bad like accounting gives you a very good background into business so now we own our own business and all of my accounting knowledge comes very handy Oh, I bet. And it's something I wish I had sometimes myself coming from a very precarious background and modeling as well. How did your understanding of personal finance change once you began learning about it? I think my perspective of personal finance is different already because of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this will be true for well, not all people, like not all people that have immigrated or whatever, because some people are more responsible with money than others. But my parents were always very frugal. Um, And I mean, not always, since they had kids. My mom was telling me, you know, before we had kids, we would just live paycheck to paycheck. And I'm like, how can you talk to me like this now? (laughs) No, like, you know, telling me not to buy things that I want when you have yourself done these things. But, uh, but it was just so grilled into my mind that like save money, always rely on yourself. Don't get into debt. Like the debt thing was very, very big for my parents. I mean, I grew up without even having credit cards in our lives. Like my parents never had a credit card. Everything was always paid 
in cash um, up front. Uh, and if you didn't have money to buy something, you just didn't buy it. And that's how it was. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of like, it's just the things that I know. So, um, you know, then when, of course, when I started blogging about fashion and I went to fashion weeks and all of a sudden I had to like have the cool outfits and like the, the it bags because you knew that that was the reason why people photographed you for street style. And that's how you got into Vogue and all of that stuff. Then all of a sudden, you know, my shopping habits changed a lot. And my mom just started freaking out. She's like, <laughs> you can't buy all this stuff. You, you don't have money. You should be saving it. And I mean, that there's definitely truth to a little bit of it. It's like you have to find a balance, um, but it just becomes part of your job. So you you spend money a little bit differently. But, you know, like we we spend we just spend money in mind with our business first. So instead of instead of enjoying ourselves like an average person would like spending money on going out all the time or um or just like treating themselves to, you know, a day at the spa, our priorities are a little bit different. Like if we buy something, are we able to use it for our work? And I, and I also, but like, I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, we don't enjoy our lives because oh, yeah. we, we love what we do, you know, like this is your passion. So the things that you buy or whatever, you want to get them and you would have regardless. And now you, you just have the opportunity to also translate that into money somehow, which is, I mean, I, that's ideal, right? Yes, definitely. You also added a section on finance to your blog, which I think is great. And you said that through your conversations with business owners of all kinds, you realize mm-hmm. that not a lot of people actually know much about the topic of finance and that mm-hmm. it seems like something that we tend to brush off. So why yeah. do you think that is for a lot of people? Um, I think it's, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, marketing, um, the way that we are trained as consumers, um, the, there is very little incentive for businesses to teach people about money because then that means they won't be spending it at their stores or on their products or their services. And I mean, not to say that that's like some kind of you know, evil plan that the government has by not teaching us finance early on in school. But I don't know, like we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't come out of high school knowing about personal finance, which is crazy. You know, like uh, I remember, I mean, I took an accounting class in high school, but it was not a prerequisite. Um, there, there's a, there's a moment in like an option class for a second where you learn how to do taxes by hand, <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's also not long enough to like teach you much of really anything. Um, there's a lot of like theoretical stuff, like in math, you learn about compound interest and stuff like that, but there's never like a real life application to how personal finance actually relates to your life, which I think there should be more of like, we shouldn't be taught about mortgages you know, in school, we should be taught about how to manage debt, uh, how credit cards work. Those are the things that those are the kinds of things that we should be taught in school. And we just we don't really get that at all. And I mean, even having taken accounting in university, (laughs) I can't tell you that that was very um, beneficial to my personal finance journey or knowledge, because a lot of it is just theory. You don't really spend a lot of time doing practical real life things. Uh, you definitely, when, when I was going to school, you definitely didn't do any software, uh, applications, which was crazy because then I went to work at public practice and it's like, everything is done on a computer. How do I not know how to do this already? Having had taken six years of university in this, but yeah, so that's the main reason why people don't know about personal finance. We just never get taught it. And, you know, not everybody's parents are money wise and, and savvy with their, with their spending and stuff. And it's not a person's fault or whatever. It's, you know, it's just kind of like people's comforts and stuff. And some people are a lot more risk averse than others. And, and, and some are more, more frugal than others. And, and that's not a a personal flaw in any way. It's just the way that people are. But I think that there should be, there should be more, not incentive, but um, attention paid to showing people the benefits of being smart with money 
And also showing people the downfalls of not being smart with money because we don't get, we don't really hear about the stories of people going bankrupt and, and not being able to, you know, pay for food or whatever and, and things like that. Like we, I think negative things just kind of don't really interest people very much. Like we don't celebrate them online and in media and stuff. So you don't really hear much about it. And I don't know, like realism is definitely lost in culture today, I think. I'm so glad you brought up so many of the points that you did there. I think the consumer habits piece is like so, so important, especially when it comes to millennial personal finance. But all the things about leaving high school and not knowing a thing about something like a credit card or a mortgage, those are things that we've been stressing and discussing on Shmoney Radio so far is that the educational piece is really the key. And you're right, it's not necessarily anyone's fault, any parent's fault, because money is still such a touchy subject to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I think that when someone is not secure in their own personal financial situation, they're prone to brush it off or not want to talk about it. Totally. I think that's actually, that's really big too, is like people not talking about money with people that are close to them. Like some people don't want to talk about money with their own families, which Mm -hmm. I think is crazy because also when you're in a financial, uh, you know, strife or whatever, those are the people that you wouldn't want to go to first. Like you don't want to go to the bank first. The bank should be your last resort, you know? Um, and, and people, I think it's like, I don't know, like there's shame associated with, with it or something. It's just like, I don't know. It's yeah. not, it's not right. I don't I think. Mean, yeah. And not talking about it definitely perpetuates that like silence on the money front. Like think about the future and what could happen to you and how is your personal finance tie into that? Like if you, ha- even with COVID, I mean, oh my God, this is why I started the, the finance series to begin with. Um, talking to people about money because when COVID started, people were freaking out. I mean, people were like, I'm not going to be working. How am I going to get money? Even us, even though we had an emergency fund, even though we had money sitting in the bank, we didn't have really much to worry about. I was like, well, I don't want to take money from that. I want to, you know, my bills come from like, my bills get paid from money that I just, operational uh, money that we make every day and stuff. And so I started talking about it because it was like all of a sudden, it turns out people don't have an emergency fund. People haven't been able to save money or didn't think about it. That They didn't think that they had to. And it's like, wow, that let's talk about this. Like, this is really important. In society, we're made to think that the things that are really important are not very important. And the things that are really not important are like the most important things in the world, yeah. which is so backwards. And it's like, it should really be the reverse of that. Yeah, unfortunately, you found a a really fun way to talk about something like finance through your your finance series on your Instagram, which is pretty cool. And, you know, throughout our conversation right there, you kind of answered my next question, which was why there has never been a better time to talk about money. But for everyone listening, what's the number one reason you think they should care about personal finance right now? I mean, independence. The war, like my biggest fear right now is to be dependent on government help. Um, like not because of pride in any way, but like you just don't know what's going to happen. Like the world has seen crazier times. And I mean, coming from, I, I have never experienced communism in my life, but my parents have. And I don't ever want to feel like I, like my life, my, my, my livelihood is in the hands of, you know, like an institution or something or like an establishment of some kind. Uh, I want to be, I want to be completely independent. I want to have the means to go wherever I want and do whatever I want without being afraid that things will be taken away from me. Uh, I mean, like, the best example of something like that would be a mortgage, you know, like people think that they, they, that they take out a mortgage and they own the house, but they don't, you don't own the house until you pay off your mortgage. The bank owns your house up until then. And even after that, you know, the, 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 the thing that people don't really think about is that if you stop paying your property taxes on your house, the, the city can come and take it away from you. You don't really own anything. And so it's like, the kind of assurance that 
you are independent of any of those things happening and coming at you is the most important thing to me. Um, I think, I mean, especially in, you know, during COVID with Serb and things like that, like um, the big, the big fear during that was that like, well, all of a sudden we're taking this money from the government, but we're going to be getting taxed so high on it. Does it even matter? You know? So like, yeah. You take out Serb for one month and then you're like, okay, that's enough. I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with this ever again. Just kind of like self-reliance. I think that's the most important thing. Being independent, you know, from people, from things like if if you want to do something, you are able to do it. If you need to, if you are, if you're in a car accident and your car, you know, is completely trashed and insurance doesn't cover it you're able to go and buy a new car without having to worry about it, you know? So yeah. things like that, like s- small things, big things. Um, Everything in between, really. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, and I totally agree with you there. I think there's two sides to the whole Serb thing. The one side is that, of course, it's unfortunate that people have lost their jobs and that some people just really have no other choice but to depend on Serb money. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the side of it where it's like people have become okay with just living off of Serb and they're so confident about working again that it's like, it doesn't really matter. And I'll just sit back because like, I, I have this money, but it's, you know, like you said, it's money that you're going to be taxed on and it's money that yeah, sure it's coming into your big account every other week, but it's, it's just not that simple at the end no, of the day. It's not. And, and, you know, like they teach this to you in social studies in high school, there's no such thing as free lunch. And I think everybody forgets that, but it's like the biggest teaching thing that I remember from high school is there is no such thing as free money. There's always a catch. There's always some other sides to it. Um, and you have to be aware of it. And I think coming from, uh, you know, like a government system, uh, with my family, communism or whatever, we think about these things a a lot differently. I think in Canada, people have, you know, historically been able to trust their government. And, you know, this is like so much deeper than what I want to go into, but (laughs) people have been historically made feel safe. Uh, but, we are living in unprecedented times and literally anything can happen. And you hear crazy things online and, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to believe any of it or, or, you know, you can believe some of it if you want, whatever. But the truth is that you just really do not know what's going to happen. Like nobody, nobody has the assurance. With younger people being off of work and seeing that, you know, $1,500 or $1,000 stream into your bank account, it's it's sufficient and it makes you feel safe, too comfortable almost, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's why these conversations are so important too, just to say like, you know, like you said, you have to always be on your toes. A very good way of looking at it too is just like, you know, you know that friends and money don't really mix well. You know, if you borrow money from a friend, it's like, that's the only thing that's kind of like, it's like this elephant in the room and until you give it back and blah, blah, blah. So why would a government be any, any different? (laughs) Why would you taking money from the government just be so much safer? You know, that's so much more detached from you. So it's kind of like, you just don't want to, you don't want to rely, obviously like some people have to rely on it and I understand it and it's a completely different story and everybody's in different shoes. So it's easy, it's easy for me to be saying those things, but you know, I'm just speaking from experience and from like a cautionary place, I guess, because I'm, I'm, I am really a pessimist and I'm always (laughs) thinking about the worst case scenario just in case, because and that, and that, at, at that point, if things go great and it turns out that I am completely wrong and we can just take the money and it'll, it's paradise, then that's great. Then that's everybody is pleasantly surprised. Before we kind of start wrapping up here, I have a few rapid fire questions, if you will. So what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned about personal finance running the business that you do? Um. I would say start 
or incorporate. <laughs> That's like the one thing that I always tell people, if you're going to start a business, incorporate right away. It'll save you time and headaches later on. Um, it'll save you money down the line. Uh, some people are like, well, it's, is it worth it? Blah, blah, blah. If you have a loss in your business in the first few years, you are able to literally take that loss and, and count it against your earnings in the future years when you do start making money. So it's like a very big benefit of incorporating as well um yeah that's i think that's like the biggest one what is your number one easiest money tip that you give to people who come to you for financial advice since i'm sure that you do get some dms or emails or whatever it may be from people who have like quick hitting questions for you yeah oh my gosh money tip um (laughs) like rely on your own on your own savings don't think that the stock market can make you cash fast uh, things on the market are very volatile. You can put your money in, in a GIC, but that grows very slowly. Um, the best the best way of sort of saving fast is just putting away big lump sums of money. Um, in to me, I mean, as a freelancer, also easier to say as a freelancer. Um, and if you're not a freelancer, then every extra bit of money that you make, like for example, a tax return that you, a tax refund that you get from your return, save it all. Um, And that's like the easiest way to save money is just, you know, whenever you get, you get your hands on some extra cash that you don't really need, just put it in a savings account. Since we see a lot of passive attitudes towards money nowadays, especially on social media, how important do you think it is that we begin to educate millennials and open the floor to real, raw conversations about money, especially regarding their futures? Very important. And I think not only that, I think that we should start talking about how much money people make and take the stigma away from it being rude or, or you know, nosy or whatever. I think it's very important for people to know the reality of things. It's like, you know, the fact that somebody can make a lot of money, but also their bills are really high. And that's the money that you make isn't really the money that you get to keep, uh, stuff like that. Um, because somebody that makes very little money can end up saving a lot more money than somebody that makes a lot that spends a lot. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to talk about these things in a figurative way. If you don't have specific numbers and, you know, concrete sort of like evidence to show people, then you, then you're just like talking in, uh, you know, what ifs and stuff. And, and I think that it's a lot harder to keep people, people's attention that way. If you just started talking about like, this is how much I make and this is how much I spend and this is where the money goes, um, like transparency of it. Uh, and, you know, some people are more comfortable with, with, you know, the exact things than others. But everybody that I talk to on my, on my sort of money series uh, videos, I've always started off with telling them like, I only want to talk to you if you're going to tell me and give me some specific numbers, because that's really, really important. For sure. It goes right back to what you see on social media is not what is real behind the screen. And I think that people will say like, oh, but there are people that talk about that. You know, in the past, like the people that do talk about money, often what you find is that there's a lot of like how to grow your money and how to make a fortune and how all the positive things about it. But there's not really like examples of it going wrong or, you know, what what could I have done better? Um, I think people are just so fixated on making money fast and easily (laughs) that they, they just like... I mean, again, like they just lose the sort of realism of like how it should really be like that you you can't really make money that fast. And the percentage of people that do that are either very in tune with what's happening in the market uh, or they're very risk averse or they have a lot of money to play with that they are willing to lose. Or they're always working as well because we tend to find that, you know, a lot of people that have a lot of money nowadays are pretty much working around the clock or a lot to invest in the first place. And that's not, and that's not most people though. That's yeah. the problem is yes. then that, that's the example, that's the example that you take and you try to do a little bit of what they're doing, but then it doesn't work out. And then people are often met with disappointment. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, what's so great about your finance series too, is that you're presenting another realistic example to people. And we just need more realistic examples of how to grow mm-hmm. wealth instead of like these you know, super intimidating examples. Yeah, totally. And what I, and actually another thing that I find too is um, whenever 
the problem with this, what what you're talking about, Mm -hmm. is often when you start talking about realistic situations and like realistic scenarios with what happens with your money or whatever, people tune out because they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear about like, it's really hard and uh, it's not going to be easy and all of this, like, you know, the the nitty gritty of it. They just want to like, they just want to hear about the the success stories and how they can get there. The whole thing about, um, uh, you know, getting people's stories about how, how how they grew their Instagram and all of that stuff, like, that does, that's not a sto- like that's not a path that you can take. It's not a replicable path. You can't do the exact same thing and end up in the same place. It's different for everybody. Before we go though, I do have to know on a non-financial related note, if you were yeah. to travel someplace in the world right now, where would it be and what would you be wearing? Oh my god, I'd be I'd literally go anywhere at this point. Um, but I really we've been trying to I would really love to be in Japan right now because it's cherry blossom season and it's Ooh. killing me. Either Japan or Amsterdam because it's tulip season there. And I've always been putting off going to these places because there's been jobs or whatever. And it's like I said 2020 will be the year. Of course, 2020 came and couldn't do it. 2021 will be the year. 2021 yeah. can't do it. So, I mean, we'll see. I'd be wearing a, a, a fun summer dress and be soaking up in the sun. <laughs> oh, that sounds so, so great. I'm actually like surprised that you, <laughs> I just like looking at your Instagram, I'm like, I was thinking, has she been to Japan? Has she been in, to in Amsterdam? I'm surprised that you haven't been because to me, I'm just like, she's been everywhere. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I have um, I have been to both of, the, both of those places, but just not during the cherry blossom or uh, tulip seasons. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if we were in Toronto, we might catch the cherry blossoms in uh, Trinity Bellwoods Park, but yeah, there's no cherry blossoms in Calgary, but uh, I think we'll be going to Vancouver because they have them now. So oh, that's nice. Yeah. Everything's oh. everything's closed there, but yeah, but I mean, we we'll see the trees the and then. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast, Anya. It was such a pleasure hearing more about your career and you know your money tips, and I'm sure everyone will be so excited to hear from you. Thanks so much for having me. If you took something meaningful away from this episode, please consider smashing that subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you listen through and maybe even check out the ratings and review section too. If anything, send word down the grapevine. I really do appreciate it. And as always, please see the show notes for more details on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week. This is Shmoney Radio. Is this thing on?